Good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hi there, folks. Thank you for stopping by. Now, allow me to be frank from the commencement. I'm coming off of a two-day camping trip, my favorite little river town. I re-aggravated some sort of back injury, sciatica or something. And this week has been jam-packed for me, schedule-wise. So you know what that means. Tonight's episode is your newest installment of the Grab Bag series. And tonight I have a slew of stories to share with you. So lock up, dim the lights, and hold on to your butts. Here to kick this thing off is Wes from the state of Michigan. Hi, Derek. This is Wes from uh, Michigan. Uh, hey, just calling to tell you experience me and my girlfriend had last night. We, uh, it was about, I'd say about around 11, 11.30 last night. We live in just north of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, we went outside to have a cigarette out on our back porch. When we walked out, we were sitting there just chatting. And uh, all of a sudden, we started hearing these really high-pitched screams. And just to let you know, like, we live in a little, a little park, a little trailer park. And across the road from us is this big open field. I'd say it's probably about at least two acres of open field and then woods in the back. That's where I imagine that these sounds were coming from because it's coming from that direction. Whatever it was, like I said, it was really high-pitched screams. The scream maybe lasted two to three seconds each scream, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot of time, but when you're listening to it, it seems like it's minutes. And we really didn't know what it was. We started going through our head, all the animals we have here in, in uh, southwest Michigan, and really the, the biggest thing we have down here that can be that loud would either be a coyote or possibly a uh, fox, because I know foxes can project their voices, but... When we were sitting there listening to it, it went on for about five minutes. And what it sounded like, it sounded like the screen started moving away from us. And then as quick as it left, it sounded like it came right back to the same position it was. And like I said, this went on for five, ten minutes of this just constant screaming. So I actually listened to one of uh, your episodes earlier that day talking about uh, someone else heard screams. And then you shared some fox calls and stuff. So I showed that to her, found a video that had a bunch of different fox calls on it. And uh, the only thing that got, I would say we got close to it was their bark and scream. I just, I don't, I don't know if that is what made the noise. Because even listen to the video of the, the scream, the scream didn't sound the same either. Like the scream we heard was a little bit more high pitched. It seemed like it lasted a couple more seconds longer than what the fox was able to do. But it, we were sitting there listening to it. We listened to that, and we we're kind of like, oh, it kind of sounds like that, but kind of doesn't either. So there was a possibility that this whole time we were listening to a fox, but we, we really don't know. As soon as I suggested, let me go grab my spotlight. I'm going to walk down the road and shine across the field to see if I see anything. And as soon as I said that, all the screaming stopped. It was, very, it was a huge coincidence is what I'm going to chop it up to be. But I just wanted uh, to call and 
tell you uh, our story we had last night. Like I said, I'm pretty sure we, we think it's a red fox, but, you know, it's it's still pretty creepy. I uh, love the podcast. I'm catching up right now. Keep up the good work, man. Bye. Thank you, S, for the call. Now, real quick, just to remind everyone what these grab bag episodes actually are. Typically, I'll sit down and select the calls for a particular show. I do my best to select a wide array, yet have some sort of central theme carrying us through the episode. But with these grab bags, it's a little bit different. The stories that I'm playing for you here this evening, I have not listened to previously. So I'm hearing them for the first time, along with you. So, that's sad. I would have to agree with Wes. It seems like a fox or coyote could easily make the sounds he's describing. Although I would probably toss in Bobcat as well. And that's the thing about a darkened forest. Even explainable sounds begin to sound a bit unexplainable at times. Either way, thanks for keeping your ears open, Wes. And thanks again for the call. Now, folks, I have a ton of calls to get through this evening, so you're not going to hear a lot from me. But you are going to hear a lot from our next caller, Shane, in the state of Washington. Welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Shane from Seattle. Back in the summer of 2017, a group of around a dozen peers and I pitched in for a house to get away and celebrate a birthday. A basic residential area, semi-rural lake near Shelton, Washington. The house had a separate garage with a few beds where myself and a few others were sleeping that night. The house stood above the lake and a deck as well as a little pier down in the water where uh, we could hang out. After a long day of cooking, drinking, and playing some games, it was time to crash around 2 in the morning uh, with more people in bed, somewhere on couches, and the floor in the living room. Folks had been drinking fairly heavily and um, were kind of out cold. Around 3.30 in the morning, I woke up with a need to use the bathroom, and um, I was one of the ones sleeping in the garage, sort of separate from the house. put on my pants to go to the bathroom in the house, and I noticed a diffuse shadow sort of moving on the street outside. I didn't think anything of it, just someone walking their dog, probably. Um, but I made a, the walk across the driveway with the key um, to the house and noticed the door was unlocked. So I go in. My friend is on the couch, sort of awake, looking at his phone. And he looks at me and says, weren't you just in here? <laughs> and I say, no. Uh, and I ask if anyone else from where I was sleeping was up and about. Uh, I said no again because everyone else was sleeping and I saw. But he shook it off, looked confused. I was also confused. Uh, I went to the bathroom and went back out to bed, locking the door behind me. Uh, the next morning, everyone was awake in the main bit of the house, cooking breakfast, hanging out in the sun. Two of my other friends asked if there was any open windows in the house overnight. As one of them said, a draft had opened their door from a cracked position. Their bedroom was at the back of the house, past at least five people sleeping in the living room and two other bedrooms. There was one open window, but no others in the house, so I don't know about a draft. The guy I had spoken to during my bathroom trip in the morning, sorry, in the middle of the night, piped in to ask if they know what time this happened. They said right around 3.30, which is the same time that we had our interaction. 
and I saw the shadow moving on the street. As we were all kind of talking about this, we all were looking at each other like something weird is going on. And then, a little bit late, somebody brought up a Facebook post they had seen about a series of home intrusions happening in the area in the last couple months. Um, but it turns out this guy was a pervert, I think, and was breaking into houses to watch women sleep. This could all be a total coincidence, but looking back, um, and this was in 2017, but looking back, I'm pretty convinced that we were victimized by some creep. Nothing was stolen, no one was hurt, but, and you know, who knows? Like I said, it could all be a coincidence, but it really all just gave us the chills and it's an experience that I actually just recently sort of remembered. So hopefully that creeps you out enough to tell everyone else about it. Um, I hope you're having a good night, good day, week, and a good spring despite everything that's going on. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. You know, your story reminds me of something that happened to me a few years back. Sarah and I and a few friends that we know from L.A., we went to a Airbnb in Palm Springs, which is a desert community about three hours or two hours or so east of Los Angeles. Well, we sat in traffic forever and we finally arrived just at sunset. And I was the first to walk into the single level house. As I stepped through the front door, the first thing I notice is a box of half eaten pizza on the table. Then I notice the TV's missing. Then I noticed a bunch of greasy pizza hand marks on the sliding glass door. So then I quickly make my way back to the bedroom portion of the house. Mind you, I've never been here. I kind of sweep room to room, half expecting other vacationers to have been set up there. I didn't find that. In the very back, master bedroom, I again found the pizza marks on another sliding door, this one standing wide open. Now here is the kicker. We were actually on the phone with the house cleaner 15 minutes prior to her arrival, and she was talking to us from the unit. So the best we could gather from the point that she drove away to the 15 minutes later when we arrived Someone, or possibly more than one person, made entry into the house. In the best of my knowledge, I walked in as they were stealing the TV. Now what I figure happened is they tried to escape through the sliding door, but their greasy pizza hands simply wouldn't allow them to slide the glass. So in a panic, they ran to the back door, where they had better luck. And looking back on the situation, luck was definitely in my favor. A thief hiding somewhere in the house was not something on my radar. Thanks again, Shane, for sharing your story. Our next call takes us to the state of Louisiana. Please join me in welcoming Laura to the program. Hi, Derek. I wanted to tell you a definite UFO experience that I had. I'm going to go ahead and give you my name for this one, I guess. It's uh, Laura, and I was living in Louisiana at the time, 
and this was August of 2008, I'll never forget it. I was driving down Airline Drive at about eight or nine o'clock at night, and I was right next to Books A Million when it was still there. And I saw all the cars in front of me, all the way up into the loop of 220, were pulled over on the side of the road. And they had their phones pointed towards the sky, and they were pointing above the sky, directly above Barksdale Air Force Base. And um, so I pulled over as well, and I got my phone out. And, um, and you know, it's the funniest thing. I don't know why paranormal stuff just deletes off the phone, but I had the video, and then I lost it on my phone. I don't know how it disappeared. But anyway... I made a video and it was like, it, it looked exa- it looked like organic. It looked just like little firefly bugs, but they were too big. They were up in the sky. There's no aircraft. I've seen every kind of aircraft living next to Barksdale that there possibly could be. I mean, aircraft carriers, B-52s, little fighter jets, I've seen it all. And I have never seen anything that could move this organically. It was like watching little fireflies in the sky. And what was more intriguing to me is that they were very apparently like teasing Barksdale. They were making like loops like a derby car or something like loops in the sky and then it would disappear and show up in a different area and dip down like it was going to fall to the ground to the earth and then fly back up. And they were small. They were organic. Like there was nothing uh, man-made about them and it just reminded me of the Bible when the Lord says that uh, you know the stars are celestial bodies you know, and that they're like angels and different and fallen angels. And uh, it really uh, intrigued me. And I remember listening to the radio real loud while this was all happening. I'm standing outside my car in the middle of the night. I'm listening to the radio real loud. And they're saying, we're on the phone with Barksdale. They claim no association with this guys. So there have been a million calls in, I can imagine, because there was hundreds of people that witnessed this. And um, or at least a hundred. I remember hearing that, and he said, well, guys, I, I guess we'll see it on the news tomorrow. And I thought, okay, and I and I just got in my car and uh, expected to hear something the next day, and it just never was on the news or anything like that. Um, and when I, I heard, I can't remember what season and episode, but I heard another story about it looking organic like that, and I've seen videos on YouTube since then that look just like it, where they're like fireflies. I swear that's what it was. I swear it was nothing that could be anything... Uh, anything manly man-made or anything like that and i know this sounds crazy but like seemed like they almost had different like they were one entity in each star you know it they looked more like stars than ufos and um and it was almost like they had like one had a more playful personality and the other ones would kind of sit back there'd be a few sitting back it almost seemed like these things had a, a solar life of their own and uh, that's the most um poetic way I can kind of uh, describe what I saw but I was not the only one and the fact that it has been never seen or talked about or, or you know really always kind of just made it more intriguing to me so I hope you can use this thank you Laura you know you certainly wouldn't be the first person to report seeing something strange just outside of one of our military installments the tiny little river town that I was camping in this past couple days It's pretty close to several different installments. And at least a dozen times this weekend, we were buzzed by what I think was an F-18. I must say, sitting down in the valley looking up, the aircraft is well past us before we even hear them coming. And with that kind of technology on display, it makes you wonder what they may be hiding over there. Thanks again, Laura 
for sharing your tale. Now next up, we make our way to Pennsylvania, where Sean has a story for us. Hey Derek, my name is Sean. I'm calling from Erie, Pennsylvania, and the story I have takes place in the Jamestown, New York area. I've always been kind of a skeptic, but want to believe in a lot of the stories I hear. Um, This story, though, takes place between June 10th and 20th of 2006. At the time, I was in college, and I was driving home from my girlfriend's house. And it was about 2 in the morning, and on the ride home from her house, I had to drive past the cemetery in town. And it's a big cemetery, uh, probably about, I'd guess, 200 acres and I was stopped at a stop sign kind of as I was approaching the gates of the cemetery and the gates were at about my two o'clock position and as I pull up to stop at the stop sign off sitting up against the gate um, probably about 30 yards off the road there was a man standing there And like I said, this was 2 o'clock in the morning. And the man was kind of leaning up against like a brick column that supported the gate. Um, Almost like you'd see like a cowboy cutout that somebody would put in their yard. And it was like he he didn't want to be seen at all. Um, And I saw him, and he knew I saw him. But he didn't want to acknowledge that I saw him. And... I'm looking at him and just kind of medium build, medium height, nothing really stood out about him except he had a decent beard and his eyes were totally kind of black, like hollow looking. I can't really put it into better terms. It was like there was nothing there and it it really freaked me out and so I kind of quickly sped through the stop sign kind of watching him the whole way because it was like I couldn't take my eyes off of him and he just never moved like I said it was like he didn't want to be seen so I I got home and I kind of told my parents I woke him up and told him because I was so freaked out by it this guy was just totally out of place he he wasn't should have been there at two in the morning And so we were talking and we were kind of remembering that there had been a um, local guy that had escaped from prison. And about a week prior, he had um, been pulled over more upstate New York and had actually shot the state trooper that pulled him over and fled. And his name was Bucky Phillips. And now he was on the run for three or four months. Um, He ended up with almost a half a million dollar in reward money looking for him. And he did at one point end up shooting um, two more state troopers and and killed one of them, unfortunately, um, before they captured him. But I've always maintained that I have no idea if I saw a ghost that night 
or if I saw Bucky Phillips. And it still bothers me to this day because I feel like the cops kind of laughed my story off. But I think there is a really good chance that I saw this fugitive. He was on the uh, top 10 most wanted fugitive list. I believe he took Warren Jeffs' place once Warren Jeffs was captured. But part of me thinks that if uh, they had taken my call a little more seriously, he could have been captured a lot sooner. Just as a side note, the cemetery where I saw this guy standing is off, right off the interstate, uh, which is actually where I was headed, but the interstate runs from where I was in Jamestown, New York, out towards uh, the Binghamton area, and I believe even on to Albany, and the original shooting of the original trooper was in Binghamton. New York, so it would have been a, an actually a convenient place for him to hide and wait for a ride. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I love your podcast, and I just love listening to the stories as I drive into work early in the morning. It's a great, great thing to listen to. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Sean. That's quite the pickle you found yourself in. You know, many would probably question which would be more terrifying. Well, I can't help but think that unless you want to end up a ghost yourself, always fear the living first. Great stuff, sir. Thank you again for taking the time to share it. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's always a good time to focus on your mental health. I've personally struggled with depression, trauma, and grief, and I can tell you from experience, deciding to prioritize my mental health has made a massive difference in my life and my work. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is just right for you. You can connect in a safe and private online environment from the comfort of your home and send messages to your counselor anytime. You will receive timely and thoughtful responses and have the option to schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Now guys, BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not a self-help line either. It is, however, a group of dedicated counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, LGBTQ matters, and grief, and a lot more. Now, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Now, the service is available for clients worldwide, so no need to limit yourself to counselors located near you. So take charge of your life and your mental health by visiting betterhelp.com slash monstersamongus. As an MAU listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That is B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the spooky stuff. Now we venture west for this next entry. Please welcome Max from Colorado to the program. Hi, my name is Max, I'm 13, and I live in Broomfield, Colorado. However, I'm calling 
about a poltergeist that happened to my dad's cousin in North Branch, Michigan. So this is just basically a collection of a bunch of things that happened while they were like a span of just a few months while they were in this house. So the first thing that like happened before they realized like that something was wrong and they knew that it was a poltergeist was they just heard hear like coins dropping like as if someone was just taking coins and just dropping them like down the drain and then they call like priests ministers and rabbis and then like every single one of them said that yeah that's a sign of the poltergeist i'm not sure if that's true or not but i'll just assume it is so i'll call him josh and his wife sally so when uh, another thing that happened was sally when she was just getting up in the middle of the night to go use the bathroom she was walking down this hall and then she sees a man in his 40s or 50s just sitting at the table just like cross-legged almost like he was watching her but something i think that something must have happened to whoever this is that he hated men because he never did anything to women that was like aggressive if you will but to men he kind of was a little bit more aggressive and did things that maybe were a little bit more scary whenever they'd walk by like family pictures they just see the eyes removing but they none of them had like mental health issues that could like make them see things so I think that that one was definitely real. And then another thing is uh, Josh's dad. So one day he was just washing like dishes and then he just left the room for whatever reason, maybe to go use the bathroom. And then all the cupboards were open and all the dishes were like out on the floor. He said that that scared him a lot and that he thought it was Josh. So. But Josh said that he was never there, and he didn't do it. And then one day when his brother came to come visit him, he went to open the door, and this gust of wind just flew out. He's a pretty big dude, and it couldn't have been a like, pressure change, because it like, almost knocked him off the porch. And he's like a pretty big dude, so that couldn't have knocked him off, just like pressure change or anything like that. Um, and then the last experience that they had over there was something that was a little bit more physical that scared him probably the most out of anything that happened. So he was just sleeping in bed, and it was a pretty normal night. But then all of a sudden, he just sees, like, this man crawling up from the bed and just come and punch him right in the head. He woke up and tried to come and hit him back, but it, like, rolled up into an orb about the size of a softball or a grapefruit and went into the closet and he woke up his wife it like shook her up and then he didn't even put clothes on or anything just ran in the middle dead winter and just drove over to his mom's house and then just barfed all over the place he was that was just too much and they pretty much didn't go back there except to get like papers or take a shower and stuff like that. They ended up selling the house after just a couple months of having it. The realtor went when they were trying to sell it. The realtor asked, like, hey, why do you always have the lights on when you leave? And they never left the lights on when they left. 
So the realtor was like jokingly said, hey, is it haunted or something? And they just wanted to get out of there. So of course they said no. Yeah, that's about it. I love the podcast. And I love it. Thank you, Max. You know, it's weird. I was in a similar situation when I was younger. All the adults around me would swear the ghosts weren't real. The things I thought I saw in my room at night, they didn't exist. It was all make-believe. But then I would overhear them talking amongst one another, talking about the family haunting. You see, my uncle died before I was born. And it seemed that once he did, he returned to wreak havoc on my aunt and two young cousins. The stories I remember overhearing mentioned opening of drawers and banging of pots and pans. And they spoke about it, so matter of fact. Perhaps that's one of the reasons I'm here speaking to you now. But for the most part, no one really talked about it. Maybe there's a clue there somewhere. Well, thanks again, Max, for sharing your entry. Now this next entry takes us to the state of California. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, this is Mark. I'm calling out of California. I'm actually up in the high desert. Uh, Long time listener, big fan, been listening since about season two and been following it ever since. It's really good to listen to on my car ride when I go to and from work. It's about a 40 minute commute one way, so 80 minutes really helps out but um i'm calling because i don't have a direct experience but i want to share with you uh experience i got from a person who has direct experiences and the thing is yesterday friday december 21st 2018 i was working at our location at our plant in wilmington california i mean i get a uh expert on site for half a day and i was with this guy for that time duration and he and I were just talking and he's former Navy about uh, eight or ten years he said but um, he works out of uh, Chicago and he travels for his work hence why he came to our site because we needed him but uh, I learned from him because he talked a little bit about himself and he a comment about how strange stuff always happens at his home because they purchased the home about uh, back in 2008 and he was telling me since they purchased the home to now, in the last 10 years, they've always had very paranormal experiences. And an example of a paranormal experience is when his mother-in-law was staying with them, she was out in the backyard and she was living with them for a few months, six months or so. And when she was living with them and she was out in the backyard, she was with the kids and she observed in the backyard on the bench, a man with no legs that was present there. Another experience was his daughter was in the bedroom upstairs and she always heard a person, as though the person was an older man, singing a lullaby. And another experience that they had was hearing voices. Another one that was very distinctive was he was telling me, he said one evening in the last 12 months, they drove to go leave somewhere and it was about an errand for about an hour or so. And they left on some of the lights in the home. And as they came back after running their errands, they noticed that all the lights that they had left on were all off. And they had a few of those things that they experienced. And 
The mother-in-law, when she saw that person that had no legs that was sitting on the bench, the mother-in-law got a ticket to go back home. So it was a short visit for her. It was something that he shared with me, and I asked him about uh, whether or not this was something that was uh, divine, religious, or whatever it may be. And he just says, as he just told me that uh, he doesn't know exactly what it is, but um, a higher power must exist, surely. But uh, he doesn't have anything beyond that. He even told me that uh, he had the former landlord, the owners, come back to visit so that he could have whatever was there, follow them away, so then he can have it be, quote-unquote, make peace with that. But unfortunately, that didn't work. And his wife said, we should not acknowledge that we can hear what they're saying because once we acknowledge that we hear with what these entities or spirits are saying, then they want to communicate through us to other people. And so she's really wanting to avoid the topic at all costs, even though that they're surrounding around them. I guess it's kind of living with a family with another family together. But I uh, just want to call and let you know that that was my secondhand account to y'all. But uh, take it for what it's worth. I appreciate the podcast very much, and have a great one. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Mark. That is quite the tale. Now, if I'm honest, secondhand stories certainly aren't my favorite. But if I'm also being honest, I truly appreciate the effort of the teller of those stories. Oftentimes, the people that experience these issues simply don't want to talk about it, which includes sharing their story. So without these secondhand storytellers, many of these stories would go unheard completely. So thanks again, Mark, for sharing. Now this next one takes us to the state of New Jersey, where Nikki has something waiting for us. Hi, Derek. This is Nikki from New Jersey. I just wanted to call and tell you about uh, something weird that happened to me when I was in college uh, that has to do with a Ouija board. So this was my first semester at college. I went to college down in um, St. Augustine, Florida. This was in 2010. The college I went to was known to be haunted. It it used to be an old hotel and then they, they converted it into a a college and where the girls rooms were those used to be the old hotel rooms there were just a lot of stories that would go on and um during uh, our first meeting with the president they had told us that ouija boards were forbidden they weren't allowed in the room uh so my roommate took it upon herself to um bring a ouija board in so she brought it in and i'm a big skeptic i don't think they're real or what happens with them are real and we brought our suite mate over and a few other friends and we're playing with this Ouija board and of course the one girl she always had to be the one to have her fingers on it and it's kind of like well why is something going to happen if you take your finger off oh it's probably not going to move or whatever you know so they start asking it questions and it's moving along and all of a sudden they said are you here with us now or something like that and our lights started flickering and you know we're girls so we all screamed and kind of like freaked out whatever and then she said can you show us another sign and we have these two closet doors and they're very heavy doors it can't just close on its own you have to physically turn the handle and close the door and sure enough my closet door slammed shut 
and I had a collage of pictures on it and one photo fell off. And the photo that fell off was a picture of me and this one girl. And the one girl, it, it, was, it was very freaky. It just so happened to be a girl that had told me that she can speak to ghosts. She's kind of like a medium. So I thought that was very, very weird. Out of all of the photos that could have fell, it was a photo of me with that one girl. I thought it was just very, very weird. I didn't really understand it, but of course I freaked out and I never, ever touched that Ouija board or went near a Ouija board again. So I don't know if you'd be able to explain that or it was probably just a weird fluke. That's what I'm going to sum it up to, but I just wanted to tell you that story. All right, thanks. Bye. Thanks, Nikki. I gotta say, it's pretty ballsy to ban something sold in the toy aisle. It's a very interesting detail that Nikki included there, that the university forbids the use of Ouija boards. I can only assume that this is perhaps some sort of religious college, so the rules are a little more strict there. As for the events that took place, as odd as they may seem, perhaps there is some sort of logical explanation. At this point, I certainly don't have that answer, but maybe someone out there listening does. If you have a story you think would be perfect for the show, submit your true paranormal encounter by calling the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And this one was sent in from the state of Maryland. Kenny, welcome to the program. Yes, my name's Kenny. I'm calling because I've seen a couple of strange things around my neighborhood. I was born and raised in uh, Southern Maryland, uh, specifically out of the Calvert County area, uh, Lugby specifically. Um, so when I, I'm not exactly sure of the year. I was still in high school at the time. I'm no longer in high school. Graduated in 2011. Um, I lived in an area called Drum Point. Um, it's a very woodsy area, a very rural area, not too much congestion. The road I lived on was specifically called Rasby Hall. Um, it's about a two mile long road that's pretty straight, uh, surrounded by woods and houses on either side of the road. My dad lived towards the end of Rasby Hall Road when I lived a little bit farther up, probably about a 10 minute walk from there. Um, I was leaving my dad's house one one night. It was probably about 10.30 at night or so. My dad's house shared two driveways. It had a driveway that was uh, pretty much like state-issued uh, signed road and everything like that. And then they had a private road entrance for one of their work trucks to come down through. Well, I decided that day that I was going to take the work truck road. It is an extremely dark road, got uh, woods on either side. And uh, it leads up to the main main road called Rasby Hall. As I was walking up to Rasby Hall Road from my dad's house, I kept getting this smell of it, it was a smell that I can't even describe. Um, I've been a my family have been commercial watermen since I was young, and I know the smell of rotting fish and rotting flesh for the most part. This was just it was like a mixture of the most dead dead smell I have ever smelled and swamp. And give it on off of Rasby Hall Road, probably about a good half a mile up the road. There is a swamp, but it, it never really smelled too awfully bad. But it, this stench was horrendous. I could smell it 
halfway down my dad's street as I was walking up towards the main road. As I got to the main road, the smell got a lot worse. Well, I turn and start heading up towards my house. And as I'm passing, there are several side roads off of the main road. And one of them specifically is called Johnson. And at Johnson, there is a big sign that kind of states that it's a private private owned road, that it's a point of part of the drum point association and everything like that. Well, over top of that sign is a a standard street light. Well, underneath of that straight light, when I turned and looked, was some type of monster standing there. It reminded me of Bigfoot. Um, I didn't get a 100% look at it, but right there where it was standing, it had to have been eating the raspberries out of the bush. I turned and seen this thing. This thing's head stuck over top of that wooden sign I was just previously talking about. That sign stuck out of the ground, probably about seven feet tall. So this thing was crouched down and was still over seven feet tall. Give it, I also have an older brother that that's about six, eight in height in general. This thing was about a good six to seven, seven inches taller than what he was, but was massive. And again, the smell was horrendous. Like it was something I could have never smelled before. I had no idea if this thing saw me or not. When I saw it, I started rushing back to the house as fast, fast as I could. Once I got into the house, uh, my older brother and a couple of his friends were there. I was hysterical. I couldn't talk. I couldn't speak. I it just it, I was in shock. I didn't know what I saw. And I give it, my family's been avid hunters and on the water and everything throughout that area my whole life. Like I, I've lived in those woods and have never once seen anything like that. Uh, we went back down and checked the area out. There was no signs of anything being there. I love the show, Derek. Please keep going. I also love seeing you on TV on Paranormal Caught on Camera. So y'all have a great day and hope to keep listening to the show. Thank you, Kenny. You know, several years ago, I was back home and did a video at Salt Fork State Park for YouTube. In the video, I kind of walked around some of the popular trails, regurgitated some facts. But while I was walking around, I got it in my head that there was nothing like that that could survive there and not be detected. I was fairly adamant about it, I believe, in the video. Since then, my attitude has changed a little. And by that I mean I found an excuse for them to be there. And I think I found a way for them to remain undetected. I know I've mentioned this before, but I wonder if some of these younger adult males and these bands of big feet, if they do exist, are exiled the way some big predators exile their young males. Lions, for example, come to mind. Now this is done to, I assume, deepen the gene pool and lessen the strain on resources. Makes perfect sense. So what if one of these roaming males makes his way back east? Could that explain sightings like Kenny's? And of course, if they're simply passing through on their way to someplace secluded... That could explain why they're only seen once or twice and then never again. But I'll leave you with this final question. Where is Maryland on the way to? 
Thanks again, Kenny, for sharing that amazing encounter. And thank you for tuning in. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you're bored, join us over on social media. We have accounts on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, the terrifying score you heard this evening. Let's co.ag music. And Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Well, just last week, I sat down with a good friend of mine, Shannon LeGrow, host of Into the Fray Radio. We chatted for nearly two hours in regards to our Rewind episode over on Patreon. Now, essentially, the Rewind episodes, I bring a guest on and we discuss calls from past episodes. It's a ton of fun. Highly, highly recommend you checking out our Patreon platform to get a listen. Well, in that episode with Shannon, I shared this brand new call that I thought was too good not to share with the main audience. So, without further ado, and to play us out, please welcome Paul from Georgia to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Paul, and this story takes place in Georgia right around 1994, back when I was nine and my sister was about 12. Back behind our house, there was a little forest down in the valley of our cul-de-sac where they weren't able to actually develop anything for the neighborhood. And we would always spend our afternoons there, you know, just kind of wandering around the woods, playing the creek and such like that. And we came across something that was rather curious deeper in the woods. Now, when I say woods, this was less of a like little copes of trees that people would play around in and more of a forest uh, kind of expanded across about, I want to say, uh, a half mile square between the neighborhood on either side of us and the neighborhoods across from us. Uh, It was in a pretty steep sloped valley with a lot of water features, so it wasn't able to be actually developed throughout our neighborhood, so it's still there to this day. But we came across something that was more than a little strange. But when we first came across it, we had just started really kind of getting into the idea of the occult. My sister was in middle school, just getting into middle school, and was doing a project on the Salem Witch Trials. And so she had picked up some books on witchcraft and Wicca and stuff like that to kind of like bolster her knowledge. And so we we both sat there and reading and read them, being like rather scholastic kids at the time. 
And so we, we already learned a little bit about the occult, but this was a little bit more off the beaten path, uh, both literally and figuratively. We came across a pair of trees that had kind of grown into a, a V shape almost, or almost an X shape where there was a V shaped almost area between them that when you look through it, the little forest in our backyard wasn't the same as when you looked around it. Now being rather analytical and being more of a, a stickler for trying to make things make sense. Our father was a stickler for logic. So that kind of bred into me. Uh, I made sure that I checked it out. Uh, I walked around it, made sure that I like looked through it from both sides. I didn't go towards it because we had, again, already learned a little bit about what things you should and should not mess with. And when you look through this V-shaped section of the woods, the woods were not the same on the other side. It definitely wasn't a trick of the eye. It wasn't any kind of, you know, barrage. It legitimately was not the same woods when you look through these like arched trees. When we realized that this was something that was a little off, we left it alone, uh, did a little bit of digging and a little bit of reading, and we figured that it may have been some kind of, some kind of like fae mirror or fairies. As, as I suppose a, a grown man talking about fairies seems silly. We all know that there are plenty of legends and stories about them and they don't just come from nowhere. And so we did a little bit of digging and our, our father actually at the time happened to be a home brewer. So we brought over some homemade wine and a little mason jar. And uh, <laughs> our mother had picked up some, uh, some blueberry muffins. And so we took one of those. And also at the same time, like we both had, you know, somewhat long hair. Mine was probably down to about my shoulders and hers was about mid back. And we both plucked like probably a dozen hairs out each and kind of like braided them together as best we could and tied it with a bit of uh, vine that we'd found. So we left those three things there out on a stump nearby this portal that we'd found. And we just left it there. We, didn't, we were like, all right, we're just gonna leave this be. We'll come back in a few days and just see what happened. Because it was a sealed mason jar, and it was one of the, the maybe, you know, eight ounce smaller ones uh, that we would about half filled with some snuck wine that our dad had made. Then, you know, we let it sit. You know, a few days later, we came back and uh, the mason jar was emptied, which could have been one of the neighborhood kids just seeing something sitting out. Uh, the muffin was eaten, which could have been anything out there, but the hair was still sitting there, right in the same place where it was. But instead of my auburn hair or my sister's dark brown hair, uh, all of it was this silvery white color. I think my sister still has that lock of hair. Uh, this wasn't the only instance of fey interaction that we'd had as well. Also, when we both moved into our first apartment together, we were on the third floor and could see out over the woods behind our apartment complex. And no matter what time of year it was, there always seemed to be either night or day, there seemed to be kind of a heat haze sort of 
mirage thing going on over the entire forest. Just like if you gazed out over the top, you could see uh, a shimmer almost. And it uh, wintertime, summertime, didn't matter. It was still there. And so one day we decided to take through our friends and just you know, go for a night walk in the middle of the woods. And there was a dog walking path where you could go through and had street lamps basically set up so that you know, it was a lighted path. You didn't have to feel worried or, or unsafe or anything like that when you were walking your dog out there. And we were just walking around and we could all feel like the night air around us and it felt a little bit, a little bit close, but not uncomfortable. And as we stopped, you know, we were just like, oh, I guess there's not really much here. And we're just kind of standing there on the dog path talking about it and just kind of, you know, like jigging back and forth. Like, well, I guess it was nothing. We just trick of the eyes or, you know, I was like, wait, we were just seeing something. And then uh, my sister taps me on the shoulders and talking to one of her friends. And uh, I can see that she's rather shaken. And I'm like, what? Well, what's up? And she kind of points over my shoulder and I turn and look. And I see a bunch of moths in the beam of the street lamp that's out there on the dog walk until they're not moths. When the moths were moving through the light, they were moths. And as they moved out of the light, they definitively weren't. You got a clear image. Like as soon as it moved out of the light back into the forest proper, you saw arms, you saw legs, there were wings and there was a head. They were still about the same size, but the shape changed completely as soon as it got outside of the light. But no, I've experienced several things in my life that kind of defy explanation and definitely are not always normal. I've always tried to take a look at them with an analytical eye and uh, take it with a grain of salt, but sometimes you just have to look at things as they are. And those are the two of the instances where I don't have an explanation for what exactly happened, or I don't have a scientific explanation for what actually happened or what we saw. But in any case, I've uh, been an avid listener for about a year. absolutely love the show and your, and your platform, and I can't wait to hear more. Thanks for the show, Derek. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.